Detroiter Khalif Young watches a lot of documentaries. He noticed something missing, especially the ones that are all about the civil rights era. When I see those documentaries, and it's just like, man, you know, it's a lot deeper than that. Where were the voices and perspectives from people who lived through these moments? Not the people who make it into the history books, but the people who'd actually experienced these stories. And so then I set out to, to find individuals that had interesting stories in that time. He started a podcast. Tapestry in Black gives Black Michiganders a space to share their experiences in their own words. Each episode of the show is a new story told from the perspective of someone who lived it. Season one features tales from the civil rights era of the 1960s to the early 70s. Today we're talking with Khalif Young about the importance of preserving history, and he'll get into some of the tales that he heard along the way. This is Stateside. I'm April Baer. When Khalif began the project, he knew that he wanted to start off talking about the 1960s. We wanted to start with the 60s, one, because it was such a I mean, an amazing, turbulent time in our country, and, and, and particularly for African-Americans. And so I think that African-Americans then were really faced with the choice on, I want to get involved. What movement do I get involved in? You had, you know, the Civil Rights Movement. You had SNCC. You had the Black Panthers. You had the Nation of Islam. It was a lot going on. And so different families and different individuals took different roads. And so... I just thought it was important to kind of share some of those stories. Not all of them are about the Black Power movement. I think that's just what what's up there now. Um, and the rest of the episodes will be up in time for um, Black History Month. So it, it's, it's kind of diverse in a way. You start us off with Gerald Smith and his experiences resisting the draft. Because my impetus was if they did draft me, then I was ready to go to Canada. So I wasn't about to stay around and, and, and go to a war that I didn't believe in. My religious beliefs didn't, my philosophical belief uh, it didn't enable or allow me uh, to, um, to go to this war and kill people. For what reason? What were the consequences for doing so at that point? Man, and you know, it's something, I, I worked with Gerald at Channel 56 and then with the city of Detroit, and I never knew. I never knew he had that experience. And so and in his episode, he talks about, you know, what was going on um, in his life and, and other students and how they were just opposing the Vietnam War in general. And that was white and black students, you know. So um, he told me how it was hard for him to find a job. He got kicked out of school over at UD Mercy. So it was it was kind of a tough, you know, a lot of uh, young men um, had to leave. They went to Canada to get away. He opted to stay. I think there was a clergyman or someone that uh, helped him and a few others kind of organize and kind of, you know, push back on the governments uh, trying to draft them and get them to serve and, and go to Vietnam. It was also at that time that at, at the church, he was, and he made national news, that he was actually housing draft dodgers in his church so the government would not come in and, and take these people away. I was just amazed at his story because I'm telling you, man, you know someone for a bunch of years, but you never, you just never, I never heard that story. Yeah. I mean, these would have been young men, I would assume some of whose dads must have fought in World War II or Korea. Mm -hmm. I would think. Yeah, and who might well have been aware of what military service could and could not do. 
for them, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. with respect to their status in society. Do you feel like you got a better fix on how the generational shift happened in people's thinking? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, you see that stuff on the History Channel and everything, and then to actually speak to someone um, that that was in that struggle and and fight. Uh, one of the episodes is, in particularly, is about a, a African American who actually went to Vietnam, and you had his whole story. You know what I'm saying? And he he wasn't aware of the things that were were going on back home because they weren't privy to the news like that. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. the military would have news blackouts and things like that. But, you know, he felt tension and stress uh, being with Southern uh, soldiers that were from the South and their uh, mentality and thinking toward African-Americans and stuff. But he did his job, you know, and, and so that's an interesting episode in itself. Yeah. Having recorded for the podcast, are there ways that you got a you got a different different grasp on how anti-war activism might have shaped people's feelings about civil rights? Yeah, because you're here. I I was able to hear it firsthand on how they felt, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So um, it kind of opened up a doorway to, to want to hear more and tell more stories from that era. And it just let me know that I really hit on starting off the series with that time period because people who lived it and went through it and and had adamant feelings about it, you know, were able to uh, share their experience. We need to take a break. More on Tapestry and Black in just a minute. Support for Michigan Public's stateside podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. Support for the stateside podcast comes from Kalamazoo College, offering a personalized education that combines critical thinking, curiosity, and creativity. Committed to preparing students for meaningful careers that make a positive impact on the world. More at kzoo.edu. There's another part of the podcast that focuses on your mother and a very important encounter in her life that she mm-hmm. had with Malcolm X in 1960. Just for starters, before we get to it, had she told you this story growing up? No, loosely, you know, loosely. Um, but I, I said, hey, it's time to I want to know, you know, what you were doing, because I know she lived in New York at the time and uh, left Detroit, lived, uh, moved there, um, was doing some things, selling her jewelry in the village and just kind of having a, a good life. And then that that one shocking moment spent her whole world around, you know, and so so her, hearing that whole story was really interesting, to say the least. Yeah. It sounded like at the time, she she speaks in a very charming way about what it was like being a young woman in the city at the time. Hung out with the rich people, riding around in their limos and enjoying myself. Going to dinner, going to different houses, getting to know people, that sort of thing. I mean, I don't know if I would exactly call her a scenester, but, you know, she had a social life and she was hanging around with, you know, with people that she had not met as a young woman in Detroit. Can you explain how it was that she she came to meet Malcolm X at a, at a mosque in Harlem? Well, I think one of her friends, uh, the late 
Dr. Johnny Klein, who was uh, her boyfriend at the time and was a basketball player for Harlem Grove Trotters. And he had moved to New York to play for another team and everything. And I, I think she was up in Harlem. Um, and a lot of times up there, you had different people speaking on corners and stuff like that. And one of her friends said, you know, uh, you should come check this guy out at the mosque, hear what he has to say. He's really dynamic and that sort of thing. And so my mom being inquisitive and um, adventurous and everything took that step, you know, and she and she mentioned that, you know, she she was aware of the civil rights movement, but she wasn't active in it. You know, she was doing her thing in New York and New York is kind of far removed from the South. And so, you know, she knew about it, but it wasn't something that she was dedicated to go do um, and felt a need to do until she heard uh, Malcolm X speak. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the things that really jumped out at me hearing her talk about it. Obviously, some of the people who who gravitated toward Malcolm X's message in those days, you know, we're, we're living in pretty desperate circumstances. But here's your mom. And she's, you know, she it sounds like she had a kind of a middle class life. And, you know, she had a creative life. And and yet she was so taken with what he, you know, the things that he had to say. I don't want to spoil it for folks who are still going to go hear the podcast, but can you share a little bit about what he said that made such a big impact on her? You know, Black people were really getting a different message. They were getting a message of uh, suppression and and things of that nature. And I think he spoke to a message of unity, coming together, uh, you know, Black is Beautiful, that whole movement and thing, and that kind of stuck with her. But I think more so, um, growing up with my mom was really interesting because she, she has a passion for people. And whenever, you know, and this is 60s, you know, late 60s and, and 70s, you know, we're watching the news and seeing people uh, suppressed, whether they're in Palestine or uh, at the time in Ireland, people that were suppressed by the British. She just has a compassion to uplift people past the suppression and their circumstances. And so, you know, she wasn't just, you know, about Black in that regard. She was just about that for everybody that was um, suppressed and everything. And so, that that opened my eyes as a young man. You know, I was like, you know, why are we watching, you know, this news report about what's going on in Belfast? Or and then she would break down, you know, what what they're dealing with and and what the Irish were dealing with, or the Palestinians and and definitely African Americans in this country. So she had a she has and has a wide scope of uh, wanting better for mankind. She spends a fair amount of the episode talking about her subsequent conversion to Islam. Tell us a little bit more about where this journey took your mom. Well, it just took her into a deeper sense of self-pride and, and self-communionship uh, and fellowship and working um, just to uplift people, and particularly in the Black community. I can appreciate having gone through that experience because it did. It answered a lot of questions about who I was, who I'm going to be, who my people are, all that. And uh, he, he taught us that. Like a lot of young women of her generation who converted, she, she embraced uh, the message of Elijah Muhammad's movement that uplifted women's role as sort of the heart and soul of the family. 
did she ever talk about how she how she related to that role? No, she she said, you know, that it felt natural for her. And it, again, it amazes me anytime um, a woman or anyone can can put down fun to join the struggle. I, right. Know, that's, that's, <laughs> that's heavy in itself. You know, I remember listening to uh, uh, Abby Lincoln interview on NPR and she was just talking about how um, Hollywood wanted her to be like the black Marilyn Monroe and they wanted to lift her up in that regards. And she dropped everything to join the struggle. So people have sometimes, you know, I think, you know, my mother or, or Abby and others, you know, it's a higher calling that's bigger than themselves that makes them want to join a fight or join a struggle for the upliftment of their people. Yeah. Did she consider herself an activist? No, but she definitely is one um, because she she has in her career, you know, she's worked for the Urban League and other organizations like that. But uh, I can just tell you that I've I've been in stores or places where someone was being kind of wronged by the shop owner or disrespected and my mother would take up for him. And it's like, wow, my, you know, you can't fight everybody's battle, right or wrong. You can't, you know, but she does. She she just is a stickler for respect of others and uh, people's lives and stuff. Was there anything as you started talking to people and, and sifting through the history that you didn't expect to come across? Yeah, the, uh, the Gerald Smith story. That's going to be in episode six. He was part of a debate team for his college and he was in Memphis in the area and heard the shot that killed MLK. And so that was something else, uh, a whole nother story. I'm looking forward to putting that episode together. So, I mean, it's just like, I never knew some of these things from knowing these people I would have never known unless I said, Hey, you got a story that you want to tell. It was like, yeah, let me tell you this. And so, you know, it's amazing. You know, but the the main thing I think I want to uh, stress about the series is that now that we uh, are in such a digital age, it's just important for all people to be able to um, sit down with their elders, uh, aunts, uncles, grandparents, and just record their family history. You know, just just record, you know, uh, for future generations and their family and things like that. And so with the technology we have today, I just think that's um, a very important element that families should uh, dive into if possible. Are there any broad areas that you think coming seasons of the podcast might cover? Yeah, we're going to definitely highlight some creatives. Um, uh, Back in 2010, I did my first web series was called Creative Juice. And we went inside the minds of creative types and stuff. And so um, my daughter who works for NPR, she said that she would like to kind of take that challenge on and, and do something on creatives a little a little deeper. Um, I also have on deck some interesting stories uh, from the entertainment industry uh, from the 60s and 70s. So those are things that we'll try to uh, bring up, bring on board in the near future. Khalif Young, his podcast Tapestry in Black is now available. Khalif, it's great talking to you. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. 
And that's the Stateside Podcast. I'm April Bear. Ready for more listens? Head over to our website, michiganradio.org. You can stream more of Stateside anytime. Today's pod was produced by Rachel Ishikawa. Other producers are Mike Blank, Ronia Kabansag, Mercedes Mejia, and April Van Buren. Our executive producer is Laura Weber Davis. Music for the pod comes from Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks for listening. We'll see you Monday. Bye-bye. I'm Rebecca Williams. I'm Lester Graham. We've been working on a big project about Great Lakes birds called the Bird Connection. It will look at ducks and trumpeter swans. Egrets and herons. And piping plovers. Yes! We'll discuss what we've discovered at a Michigan Public Issues and Ale event. Including how some problems for birds are problems for people. It's at Arbor Brewing Company in Ypsilanti the evening of May 21st at 7. You can register at michiganpublic.org.